Good morning. The reading today is from Acts 11, verses 1 through 8. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Sacred Journey. I am so glad to be with you this morning. I want to introduce to you our bishop, Bishop Bruce R. O. Bishop O. came from the Dakotas Conference. He grew up there in the northwestern side of the state. And he grew up, and he's going to probably tell you about that, or maybe not, I don't know. He was ordained in the Dakotas Conference, and then he went to serve in the Dakotas and then also in the Iowa Conference and eventually made his way to being a bishop. He was elected a bishop in the United Methodist Church in 2000, and he began to serve in the West Ohio Conference, where he served as bishop there for 12 years. And then, and then, and then his career really started off. Yeah, right. <laughs> when he came to serve the Dakotas in the Minnesota area of the United Methodist Church. We're so very glad that he is with us this morning to talk about the unity of the church and a way forward. Will you join with me in welcoming Bishop Bruce R. O. Well, good morning, Sacred Journey. I want to greet you in the name and spirit of the risen Christ as we are in this uh, season of Easter. It's really a joy to uh, be with you today and, <clears throat> excuse me, to have the, <clears throat> excuse me, this, no, I'll be okay. Uh, yes, give me some water, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, really a joy to be uh, with you today and have this opportunity to uh, uh, share in worship and also to lead an adult forum a bit later this morning uh, around the topic as uh, Judy suggested on unity and what's happening within our denomination uh, regarding uh, the, the ongoing debate about uh, homosexuality. So I, I want to thank uh, Judy for um, the invitation to, uh, to be with you. Do you mind if I use this altar for my table? Yeah. Um, and um, I want to take just a moment before I, uh, before I share my message with you this morning to to express my deep appreciation and admiration uh, to Judy for her spiritual leadership and for your entire ministry team. But especially today, I want to uh, take a moment and uh, personally and publicly thank Sally Johnson for her ministry here at Hennepin, and especially with all of you. I don't know what your uh, opinions are, but I think she's retiring way too early. So. 
And a word of thanks to this entire congregation. Um, you are clearly on a course, on a journey toward vitality, not only uh, congregational life vitality, but vitality in your outreach to this community and to the world. And your example is an encouragement, a personal encouragement to me, but it's also a huge encouragement to the entire Minnesota Annual Conference. So Hennepin, keep leading. We need you to keep leading uh, the way. <clears throat> Will you pray with me? Lord God, we turn ourselves now to your word and ask this day that you would speak to us. Speak to us in the places that need to be healed and in the places that need to be encouraged and in the places where we find our questions and our doubts. Thank you for calling us to this sacred space and this sacred journey. We come to you this day offering you once again our lives that you might work through us to continue to advance your kingdom in, on, the, on this earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Christ we pray. Amen. I want to turn back to the text from this morning. Uh, I think there was a bit of a misprint in the bulletin this morning, so I want to just finish reading a few of the other verses that, um, and you'll see why in a moment, why it's important to get to these other verses. So I'm going to just pick it up where we left off uh, with the ninth verse in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. But a second time, the voice from heaven spoke, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pu uh, pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in this house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, when God has given even, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I became an instant and ardent admirer of Pope Francis when he was elected. Anybody else? I really believe God is working through him to energize all of Christendom and even our own Methodist uh, movement. In an interview in the Jesuit magazine America, which Pope uh, Francis gave uh, shortly after his election, he spoke directly to my heart when he said, and I love this, the church has locked itself up in small things, in small-minded rules. I thought that was a word for the Methodist Church right there. <laughs> and then he went on to say, the most important thing is the first proclamation. 
Jesus Christ has saved you. Pope Francis goes on to say, a beautiful homily, a genuine sermon, must begin with the first proclamation, with the proclamation of salvation. So I begin with the proclamation of John the baptizer, when, when he saw Jesus coming to him. This is recorded for us in John's Gospel. He said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, this is the first proclamation. This is the core of the good news. This is a proclamation that actually unites all of Christendom, all who take the name of Christ. Our fundamental unity as the body of Christ with multiple expressions and traditions is in the first proclamation. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Now, not just the sins of Catholics or the sins of Methodists or the sins of Lutherans, which we know are immense. No. <laughs> but, the sins, but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of white people or black people, or brown people, or red people, but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of gay people, or straight people, or transgender people, but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of native-born or immigrants, but the sins of the world. Now here's what I've observed. All too often, when theologian types like me attempt to add to or subtract from the first proclamation, our intentions are all too often to divide people or judge people or to marginalize or exclude people. In other words, let's go to the core and keep it simple. This Christian unity stuff is difficult in part because we tend to forget that authentic unity is a spirit gift, not something we create. Paul makes this clear in the fourth chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. And let me just quote from, from him. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. And here it is, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul understood that we do not create unity. We maintain unity. We cannot create a gift. We are called to affirm, celebrate, and maintain unity. We don't create the body of Christ. It is a gift. We are initiated into the body, into this gift, through baptism by water and the Spirit. I affirm with many, if not all in this room, that clarity of doctrine in our teaching and preaching and confessing is essential to the unity of the church. Doctrinal standards are to be upheld. However, however, I want to offer this word of caution, which seems to have been lost on us recently. Correct doctrine will not ultimately unite the church. The biblical witness suggests otherwise. Unity, which Jesus prayed for and urged us to bear witness to, is ultimately a gift of the Holy Spirit sent to those who abide in Christ's love. Pope Francis made a similar assertion in this interview I quoted earlier. He said, in our relations with one another, it is important not only to know each other, but also to recognize the Spirit, what the Spirit has sown in the other as gift for us. We must walk united with our differences there is no other way to become one. This is the way of Jesus. Now I want to suggest to you this morning that authentic Christian unity is essentially a Pentecost phenomenon. 
Authentic unity is ultimately a fruit of the Spirit rather than a fruit of correct doctrine or intertwining organizations or even civility in our relationships. Doctrine states and informs what we know and believe about God in Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit, and thus expresses our understanding of what binds us together. But doctrine in and of itself does not bestow upon us the gift of unity. Authentic unity is born of Christ's death on the cross, putting to death our hostility. Authentic unity is incarnated in Christ, the Lamb of God, made visible in the loaf and the cup. Authentic unity flows from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Authentic unity is expressed in loving others as God loves us. Thanks be to God. Authentic unity is possible only when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now the history of the early church recorded for us in the book of Acts is instructive to me and to our current reality within the United Methodist Church. What we see in the book of Acts as the a Christian church was being formed. Remember, it was primarily a Jewish Christian church as it was forming. But what we learn about the early church is that Christians and Gentiles agreed on the mission of Jesus when two conditions prevailed. First, a leader or leaders filled with and guided by the Holy Spirit proclaimed Jesus' expansive, extravagant, and unconditional love. And second, the community of believers, again inspired by the Holy Spirit, affirmed that the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the, quote, other, would never be forgotten. John Wesley, the founder of our great Methodist revival movement, was such a leader, proclaiming Jesus' expansive, extravagant love and grace and calling people, that means us, to be a church in solidarity with the poor and with those on the margins. That is what makes us unique in many respects, <clears throat> is this heavy and profound emphasis on God's grace lived out in solidarity with all of God's people, especially those who are left behind. Amen. The witness from Acts chapter 11 of Peter recounting his vision while in Joppa to the believers in Jerusalem is instructive to us. By the way, this is, um, this is the uh, beginning of the Jerusalem Council. It's continued in chapter 15 of Acts. It's all the same meeting. They must have been there a long time. Okay. <clears throat> and you may recall, Peter gets called on the carpet for baptizing some Gentiles in Caesarea. So can't you just hear them saying to Peter, what do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd? those uncircumcised scum, eating what is prohibited, and ruining our good name. Regrettably, these sound a lot like the same questions we often ask each other, even today, in the midst of our struggles to be one in Christ. What are you doing rubbing shoulders with those other folks, doing what is prohibited, ruining our good names? Peter goes on to tell the council at Jerusalem that when he began to address the outsiders in Caesarea, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it did on us the first time. By the way, if you didn't pick it up when we read the scripture uh, earlier, this is one of the first them and us stories in the scriptures. Them and us. Them and us. 
And he recalls Jesus' words as he's talking to the Council of Jerusalem. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter concluded with a penetrating question, a question that often haunts me, but the question that I believe must guide our efforts to authentic unity in the church and must guide all that we do to bear witness to Christ and to live out the mission of Christ as, as Christ's disciples. And here's the question. You already know it. If then God gave them the same spirit that God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Who was I that I could hinder God? Like many, if not all of you, I have been blessed to be a party in personal relationships and in communities where the unity that Jesus prayed for took hold and lives were transformed. Faith was deepened, love became extravagant, and our witness became incarnate. In every case, the common denominator was the willingness or the ability to ask and respond to this fundamental question, who am I to hinder God? This is the same question Jesus, I believe, is asking us as United Methodist Church today. Who are you, United Methodist Church, to hinder God? Who are you to hinder God? This question has the same effect that Jesus scribbling in the dirt had on the explosive situation where the men, and they were all men, were poised to stone the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story from John's Gospel? What happens is space is created, holy space is created, space enough for us to look again, look deeper for the presence of the Holy Spirit, space enough to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, space, space enough to allow the Spirit to bless us with the gift of one heart and one mind, space enough for the Holy Spirit to, to fire, uh, the Holy Spirit fire to inform our doctrine and our decisions, space enough for the reign of God to break forth. So imagine with me, consider with me these thoughts. Perhaps, just perhaps, our unity will be found in our fire for the gospel, not our fight about the gospel. Perhaps our unity will be found in the first proclamation, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, and not in our prohibitions and regulations. Perhaps our unity will be found in our passion for the poor, not in our protecting our positions and power and prosperity. Perhaps our unity will be found in remembering it as God's work, not our personal or even denominational agendas that we are called to. Perhaps our unity will be found not so much in defending what we believe, but in loving and living what we believe. Perhaps our unity will be found when we earnestly and collectively pray for and submit to the powerful and unifying gift of the Holy Spirit rather than aligning with our homogeneous tribal groups. Perhaps our unity will be found when the first thought in our minds and on our lips is, who am I to hinder God if God gave the same exact spirit gift to them as to us? So as we go forth this morning and continue this journey within our own denomination, may Peter's rhetorical but penetrating question be our prayer, our common prayer.
Who am I to hinder God? Who are we to hinder God? If God has blessed through creation and through the gift of the Spirit all of God's creatures, who am I? Who are we to hinder God? Thanks be to God. Amen.